Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Huntig. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we have some pretty fun uh, things to talk to you about this week. Uh, ben, I'm going to take this time to ask, the, ask you to tell the listeners where we can find your work. Ben, where do you find your work? You can find my work all over the place, but primarily these days at Haggerty, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as nouveaumagazine.com. Um, how are you doing, Ben? You doing all right? No. Let's No. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about some um, crossovers or SUVs today. And Ben, you've got the far more exciting one to talk about. It's the Jeep Grand Cherokee, right? Yeah, not just the Grand Cherokee, though, Sammy. It's the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. Ooh, the Trackhawk, which is better than the Trailhawk because... Because I don't really drive off-road, so I'm not super into... Despite owning a Jeep myself, I'm not super into the off-roading stuff. I enjoy it, but it's not something I do on a regular basis. So for me, the street performance is typically more important uh, in an SUV, towing, hauling, that kind of thing. Um, The Trackhawk does all of that. It tows and it hauls, but it does other things too. And those other things are go 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds. That is very impressive, but I want to ask you... What do you think happened with the name, the nomenclature of this vehicle? Do you think they were like, well, we've got a Trailhawk. We have to include, include the Hawk theme in this vehicle. That is 100% what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they focus grouped it. I don't think there was a, a big brainstorming session. I think they were like, we still good with Hawk? And someone from across the room was like, yo! And then that was it. The decision well, was made. Like, is there a theme with hawks and Jeeps? I mean, as a Jeep owner yourself, do hawks follow your car? Do you have an affinity with hawks? Or are there other birds of prey that you think... Five uh, times out of six, when I open the door to my vehicle, my Jeep, I jump back right away in case a hawk comes out. (laughs) Yeah, and how many times has a hawk actually come out? Four times out of six. Okay. It keeps you on the edge. Those extra two two times where everything was okay, it it puts the seed of doubt in your mind. But you know what's interesting is that the Jeep as a brand, um, they never really used Hawk in any of their their, uh, branding. I think there was a Hawk version of the, the Wrangler in the 90s. I can't remember exactly, but they used to use the term Eagle. I believe there was a Golden Eagle Jeep. Okay, that was yeah, available. that sounds, that sounds uh, familiar. Yeah, and I think it was offered not just on the CJs, but also on the Cherokees back in the day. So to switch from Eagle to Hawk, I don't know. Do you think that that was a difficult decision at, uh, at Jeep? <laughs> yeah, there must have been. There was like an Eagle, uh, I mean a Hawk coup. That's pretty much what happened, right? Like, Do you think they had like a, an Eagle-loving CEO, and then when he retired, the Hawk the hawk cadre of executives is like our time has come and now we yeah. will put our imprint on every jeep product absolutely i think that's what happened i think there's no doubt in my mind that's what happened and what do you think is going to happen in the next generation of, of names when they when they move past hawk although we've only had the the track hawk and the trail hawk right now i think uh what do you think is going to happen after do you think you think it's going to be time for like owls or is it obviously uh, it's falcon it's you're going to falcon yeah, yeah i'm that's going to true. falcon track falcon Falcon. Yeah, or Fast Falcon, something like that. <laughs> okay, so uh, with that little uh, concern out of my mind... No, I, I don't think, think I'm before... done yet. I have, I have one no? more question. Okay. So yeah. what other vehicle in the current Jeep lineup do you think needs a Trackhawk version? A Trackhawk version? Yes. 
Um, I can't. I mean, I, only the Wrangler. Like that's the only one that I would think makes. You want a Wrangler Trackhawk? So, well, I want a Wrangler with the same equipment that your Trackhawk has, but I don't know if that means that it would make it better for the track, right? What like, about maybe, what about? It, would, it should be called the. What's the other one called? Trailhawk. Yes. This one should be called the Desert Hawk or something. Wow, the, the, you really Sandhawk. You really sold that name with your hesitance. <laughs> um, what about uh, a Renegade Trackhawk? No, see, like my 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 thoughts with it is that the the Trackhawk name indicates that the car would be very good on on a street environment, and I don't th- or like a like a road course or something like that, and I don't see any other Jeep being that strong on the road as the Grand Cherokee. Um, and what? even the Ch- the Cherokee is solid. It's not, but it just feels a little flimsy and weak in certain in certain areas. And I don't think the Renegade the Renegade's kind of like top heavy, right? Like you don't think a lowered Renegade with say a two point four liter turbo and a trick all wheel drive system would be good on the road. I think that might be fun. It needs way more than whatever a two point four turbo will put okay. out. Okay, so it has a three liter twin turbo V six. How about that? Yeah. Is that enough for you? That's enough. Yeah, that's what we're. It's talking a four hundred horsepower Renegade. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That would be perfect. Okay. Okay, fine. Jeep Renegade Trackhawk, make it happen. You heard it here are first. Write, folks. Are you writing that down? Are you writing that down? I've already sent the email. Why send it through email? You need to send it via Hawk messaging system. No, they, they, you never know who's going to read it along the way. Ah, and that's how the coup happened, probably. Definitely how the coup happened. Okay, now that that's all sorted, tell me about your Trackhawk. What's the story here? So, uh, for those who are unaware, the Trackhawk is an absolutely bonkers truck that has 707 horsepower, 6.2 liter supercharged V8. It's the same engine you would find pretty much in the Challenger Hellcat or the Charger Hellcat. Uh, you get 645 pound-feet of torque, which is 5 pound-feet less. I think it has something to do with cooling. Um, they had a little bit of trouble stuffing that engine under the hood of the Jeep, but they managed to do it. They managed to get enough air in there. And the reason it's so fast, it does the quarter mile in like 11.7 seconds, which is as fast as a Tesla Model X, I believe. Um, it weighs, even though it weighs 5,500 pounds, is because it has a really good all-wheel drive system and a launch mm-hmm. control system that just, it, it's just like a rocket. It, even if you're not using launch control and you slam the gas from a start in this vehicle, it physically pins you back. And there are very yeah, few yeah. vehicles on the market that do that. So and few have the same body style as the G- a Grand Cherokee. Like it's, yeah. it's so in- incredible to have that feeling in a, in a vehicle that's by all accounts pretty, um, Pretty comfortable uh, and spacious and practical. It weighs 999 pounds more than a Challenger Hellcat. (laughs) That's it? That's it. Uh, And yet it does zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. That is wild. (laughs) I mean, it's as nonsensical as our whole hot conversation. So it is. It is. I mean, it this. It's it's faster than I, I mean. I think that in in I think Motor Trend got it down to like three point three seconds in real world testing, which again Model X fast, but it's also faster than like a Bentayga and an X six M, and the, I, I think the X six M is lighter. And I know the AMG GLE sixty three S that's a hundred pounds lighter, even though they share somewhat of the same architecture. But the the Jeep is nearly a half second faster to sixty. <laughs> I mean, I think. I think I've talked to SRT about this, and they said one of their biggest um, uh, priorities when making the car was to ensure that there was no limit 
there was no like torque limiting in those first early gears so that it could really feel as powerful as it is. Well, that's I think a really that's interesting those, perspective. Yeah, that, that, that would make a lot of sense. I think that's what the other vehicles um, end up doing in those earlier gears. So, the, the, you know, if, if you're looking for the world's fastest SUV, it's pretty much this vehicle. You could spend uh, these. This retails for I want to say seventy five, seventy somewhere around there. Let me mm-hmm. double check. I have the number here, but you could spend like four times that amount and not touch this vehicle in a straight line uh, <laughs> in an SUV. So yeah, sorry, I, it's a lot more. It's eighty seven thousand. So maybe three times that okay. amount. Um, but it, it it it's fascinating to me that Jeep, a non luxury company, has built the world's fastest SUV. And all of these companies, BMW, Mercedes, Bentley, they can't do that. Like, they haven't been able to touch it in the same way. And I know that most of that is drivetrain. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's great bragging rights for Jeep. I and mean, it's a really a fantastic mechanical package. I mean, what makes it stand out to me is that they have a product um, that wasn't necessarily built for this kind of um, application, right? Like, no. And so then they said, well, we can make it fit. We can make it do this. And they did. And I thought that's what, what's more interesting is that you have cars with or, or, or SUVs with clean sheet designs um, with this mindset, like with this engine option or something in mind. Like when when Mercedes makes a new GLE, they know that there's going to be an AMG version of it. Like, yeah, that that hasn't not happened in so long. Well, so, I mean, Jeep did have the SRT version, which has 475 mm-hmm. horsepower, which is great. And it, it's actually my preference because price wise, it's a lot more reasonable. Um, you're never going to need 707 horsepower from your vehicle. You just aren't ever. There's no situation where you need this. This is not a vehicle you would take to a racetrack. I've done it. You can do it. It's competent. It's not fun. Uh, it, it, it holds its own, but you're never like, wow, this is a blast. I'm having a great time. And you're, you're just kind of stupefied. You're like, I can't believe this is actually happening. You know, yeah. you, it has huge meaty tires. They're like, I think 295, 45, 20s. And a lot of mechanical grip makes it possible for it to turn in respectable racing laps. But I mean, compared to any kind of sports car, the experience is just not great. It's it's can you imagine how much tires that wide cost? (laughs) Yeah. And how many you would have to go through, including brakes as well on on a racetrack. Um, So it's 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 fantastic that SRT has built this vehicle and that it is as capable as it is. It will never really be used to do the things that it can do, just like every SUV, pretty much in every respect except commuting. Mm. But what I like about the Trackhawk is that when you're doing stuff that's not Trackhawk stuff, like you're just driving around, it's totally normal in every single way. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tiny bit loud, I think. Um, But that's about it. It is totally normal. And nobody really cares like nobody like gawks and points and says look yes at that and, thing yes and no i actually had someone when i was pulling out of a parking lot he he was also in a grand cherokee and he stopped <laughs> beside me and asked me to roll down my window so he could compliment the truck uh-huh. and ask a few questions about it so uh the one i was driving was a nice kind of i want to call it like a like an emerald green like a dark emerald green and uh, it stands out. But the thing about the Trackhawk, too, is unless you know what you're looking for, they're hard to spot. I mean, they have the different hood. Mine had a black hood, but, like, the, the hood is is more aggressive. I think there's a different arrow on the front a little bit, and the brakes are bigger. But other than that, you really – there's a supercharged badge on the yeah. door. But on the back, I think, is the only badge that says Trackhawk on the, on the actual tailgate. So it doesn't scream Trackhawk when you're looking at it. It could very well be another SRTG. 
I, I think I like that subtleness to it. Um, I think, as you mentioned, it's kind of like the most... It's a, it's, a, it's a very unique part of the whole package that makes it feel and a little bit stealth at times, even though it is this monster of a machine. Um, but, like, it's so bizarre because now we're... It seems like we're seeing um, output and figures like this happening more regularly, like really intense numbers. And that might be happening mainly... I think you and I had this conversation off-air first about uh, EVs potentially um, portraying this kind of performance... Um, in different form factors and different body styles. Yeah, so I looked into this week. I was doing some research for a story, and I looked into the Mustang Mach E GT, which is right. the terribly named sacrilegious electric version of the Mustang SUV. I guess it's really hard to know <laughs> w- yeah. what the lineage of that vehicle is. But in any case, what's wild about this vehicle is Ford selling it for around sixty grand. So keep in mind that's only two thirds of what it will cost to get you into a Trackhawk, but. Mm-hmm. Performance-wise, they're almost identical, Sammy. No way. Really? Yeah. So if you get the GT, that gives you the uh, larger extended battery version of the vehicle, which I think is a... Let me double-check here. And while you're double-checking... It's the 98.8 kilowatt-hour battery. Okay. Um, But it gives you 615 pound-feet of torque, which is... That's yeah, that's a huge number. There's there's three or four different versions of the Maki that are out there, but that's the most powerful one. It, horsepower wise, it's 250 horsepower less than the Jeep. It's it's 459 about. Mm-hmm. So you you'd think you look on paper and you're like, mm, Mustang Maki GT. I mean that's great, but it's it's kind of like way behind the Jeep, right? Well, in a straight line, Ford is no one's driven this yet. Obviously, we're still a few months away from the launch. But Ford is claiming three and a half seconds to sixty, Sammy. That's insane. That's so that's so wild. And I think this kind of these kind of figures, it's not unusual for electric cars with that much torque to deliver that kind of performance, especially if they've got the right tires, right? So I mean I think Tesla boasts that kind of performance out of a out of a Model X. Am I mistaken on that? Yes, te- Tesla does. I mean we we're talking about it earlier. It's 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 yeah. as quick or maybe a couple tenths of a second slower than the uh Trackhawk on on the quarter mile, I think it's like eleven point nine or something. And I think GM and GMC are go, are are suggesting that a new Hummer will come out with one thousand horsepower or some ridiculous yeah. figure or number that might also do this have this kind of performance. So what I think is in, is working in the favor of these vehicles is they're generally lighter than the Trackhawk. Yeah. I mean, the GT version of the Mach E is five hundred fifty pounds less. Um, it's actually the heaviest version of the Mustang Mach E is forty eight ninety. Mm-hmm. And there's there's versions that are about 600 pounds less heavy. So I guess that's if you have the smaller battery, but okay. which, which means less power. But that's only 300 pounds heavier than a Charger Hellcat. And we've already established how yeah. much heavier the Trackhawk is compared to a Hellcat. So yeah. um, the, that weight really works in the favor of the Mustang, the electric Mustang. But also it's the, the instant on nature of the torque and the fact that um, computers can manage power output so much more with so much more granularity on an electric drivetrain versus what they have to do with a um with an with a traditional power plant you yeah. know, anything that's when you, when you have a vehicle that's burning gasoline a lot of the time traction control is about cutting power but when you have an electric engine you can you you can turn things on and off instantly and it's it's much less jarring and much more of a precision experience, especially with an all-wheel drive vehicle where you can send power to whichever axle you want in, in a much quicker fashion than you could in the Trackhawk. 
I think that's uh, that's a really important uh, part of the picture. Uh, these electric, it, it's crazy how advanced and how detailed these um, electric drivetrains can be when they're when they're um, in that performance oriented setting. It is so crazy to me that we're talking about EVs when we have when we're when we should be talking about the Trackhawk. But to me, it is this this like evolution. I need to explain to listeners though that when you have over 500 pound feet of torque at your disposal, that is a gut wrenching amount of torque. It is always noticeable. It will never tire you out that much that much torque. You won't get tired of that much unless I'm I'm wrong, Ben. I don't know. I think there's definitely a limit to how much like a, a person can be put through. But when you have over 500 in a vehicle, it's like, holy cow, this is nuts. Yeah, it's definitely wild. And as I mentioned, it, it does pin you back in the Jeep. But it, contrast that with the fact that in normal driving, it's it's a pussycat. It's really a very gentle experience. It doesn't even feel that much stiffer in terms of, of suspension tuning than the regular version of the Grand Cherokee. It's a quite mm-hmm. a comfortable ride. I did a little bit of road tripping with it, which um, the, the you can't disguise the fact that it uses a lot more fuel than any other version of the Jeep mm-hmm. ever built. But other than that, it's totally acceptable on a day-to-day basis. It, it's also totally unnecessary. I mean, it's it's like having a nuclear launch button just under your right foot at all times, and you can you can just do crazy stuff <laughs> that you shouldn't probably do in a straight line. But uh, yeah, it's it's a really it's a niche vehicle. It's different than the Europeans, as we pointed out before, just because it's so much faster. But also, it's a lot less expensive than an X6M or an X5M. Um, and it's, uh, it's, I think it sends a different message too, because of the stealthiness. It's, it's a little more under the radar. Now, I'm not sure about, uh, the Trackhawks global availability, but in America or, or North America, we don't have any unrestricted speed limit highways. And that's something that I know that happens in, in other markets. I mean, in Germany, we have the Autobahn and those really high horsepower SUVs, they can feel right at home in that, in that environment without the risk of getting a, an incredible speeding ticket out of it too. Well, the, the thing about driving a 5,500 pound vehicle at a hundred miles an hour is there's so much momentum that you have to convert into heat when it's time to break. Right. It's, it's not necessarily something I think I would be comfortable doing on a regular basis. I think it would freak me out. So you're, think, you're saying that if there were um, these kind of unrestricted highways here in North America, you wouldn't feel comfortable doing the regular like, Hundred of a hundred, well over a hundred. I think miles it's. Per hour. I think it's perfectly safe. Yeah. In in the trackhawk, but like, I don't know, man. Mentally, driving really fast puts a type of strain on you that mm-hmm. regular commuting doesn't, because everything happens so much more quickly. And I realize that sounds like a very facile thing to say, but you. No, it's true. Your brain has been trained to drive at certain speeds just because that's what we do on a regular basis. And so when we're thrust into a much quicker. Uh, environment. Let's say you're doing 120 miles an hour. That's probably close to double what you would regularly drive at. Yeah. And that means that you're going to have to adjust all of your responses to everything. Someone pulling out in front of you, making a lane change, finding an exit. It's it's a different type of experience. I was joking on on Twitter a while back that uh, now that we have all these uh, these features that, you know, do all of the the have all these warning systems on how to drive properly we need one that suggests that you should probably get back out of the left lane after you make a pass on the highway as well and i was thinking about that when you when you drive a car as fast as as a track hawk for example on the highway and you have somebody pull out uh and just sit there in the left lane in the passing lane doing nothing and well that's why we that's why we can't have unrestricted roads because 
the discipline. Lane, lane discipline doesn't exist here. The the thing in Germany too, when you're when you're driving on these roads, is how much closing distances can can change. Um, if you're in the left lane making a pass in Germany, and there's a car coming up behind you, there's a chance that car is going sixty to seventy miles an hour faster than you are, yeah. and that yeah. distance between you and that car disappears very quickly. So you have to be aware not just of what's in front of you, but what's behind you. Yeah, and we, I don't know if we have that same awareness, or that all drivers have that same awareness on the on the road here. Um, I think it would be, I mean, that's to me what these kinds of cars would be great at, especially something as big as, and comfortable and practical as a, uh, as a track hawk, um, isn't necessarily for me, uh, a, an everyday road warrior. It's, I mean, track warrior, it's something that would be great if we had that much, that much, you know, discipline on the road to be able to use that kind of thing on a regular basis. And the, I, I don't even want to think about the amount of fuel you'd be using arrow oh, yeah. to like push a brick like that through. Um, just just any type of atmosphere <laughs> at a very high rate of speed for like an hour at a time. I don't know how much range the vehicle has at 120 <laughs> miles an hour, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, do you think that that there are going to be more vehicles like the Trackhawk, or do you think that this is a, a byproduct of sort of like a certain time? I don't think that any North American automaker is going to come out with something like a Trackhawk. I think FCA has firmly established that they're the craziest ones in the room when it comes to V8 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Um, not necess- I, I know Ford has their super powerful Mustang GT500 now, and Chevrolet has the ZL1 Camaro. And, and obviously the, the, Z, the ZL1 Camaro and the ZR1 um, um, what is it, Corvette? Corvette, yeah. But in terms of p- taking the same super powerful engine and democratizing it across their whole lineup, FCA seems to be the only company willing to con- to do that on a regular basis. So I don't think we're going to see like a like a Blazer ZL1 or something like that. I think it's kind of just Jeep's thing. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to, to also I want to talk about, um, that there are so few of these really high horsepower like family style or family sized vehicles um and this we we know that there's a track hawk we know that there's the charger um and then is that it is that all you can think of no there's a durango oh right the durango has an srt version yeah and Um, there's also the regular srt version of the jeep if you want it right um there's the the we also talked about recently the um explorer st which is at least in the conversation against the durango how much horsepower does that have again? 400. 400. 400? Yeah. And that's high. That's high now. That's the high modern mark. That's the, that's the minimum entry to, into this club? I would think so. Okay. So then, I mean, even when you look at a V8-powered uh, Chevy pickup, uh, not Chevy pickup, Chevy SUV, those are got to be close to 400 now. Yeah, they're right? over 400. They're like 420, I think. Like the Tahoe RST, I think that's what they used to be called. Any Tahoe or Yukon that has the 6.2, I think, is 420 horsepower. And is that considered as wild or crazy as a an, a Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT or a Durango so, SRT? I don't because think because they're so. much la- they're much larger. Yeah, but if you put a uh, and a ZR1 engine in it or ZR1 engine in it or something that puts it at 650 horsepower, then you're we're like this is what this is not wild, right? For sure, for sure. I mean, if you look at, I think the Lincoln, the Lincoln Navigator has 450 horsepower, but I wouldn't call it a high performance SUV. It has a ton of torque. Yeah, but it's 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 also very very large. And it has electric. Motors so I guess there's help. a sweet spot of midsize vehicles that have 400 plus horsepower, which would be what you want to look at. Right. Uh, anything else you want to add about this uh, Trackhawk? No, I mean I'm glad it exists. Uh, it's a little pricey, but it's it's very cool. 
It's way outside the box. You are not... You buy this because you want it. You don't buy this because you want to fit in to a certain club. Um, And I think that's a really cool reason to have a vehicle. I think it's cool to have a unique brand. I think Trackhawk is is stands on its own and i don't think there are a lot of other north american suvs that have that i think you know jeep has the wrangler and now it has the trackhawk and those two things are unmatched there's just nothing really like those from other car companies um you you could say maybe the bronco is somewhat like the wrangler we'll see coming right yeah yeah we'll see but uh it, it you know you look at the suburban you look at the expedition they're they're all kind of the same the durango is kind of the same it, there's nothing out there that has its own unique identity from an suv perspective anymore in north america I, maybe the toyota land cruiser is another vehicle that kind of has that the the um even the forerunner might kind of have that identity but uh, jeep is really killing it with these vehicles well, it, what I like is that um, I think that this has been noticed. I, as we saw, the Fo- like Ford wants to return into the space with the into, into the off-roading space with the Bronco, and it'll be interesting to see if automakers are going to enter with the same strategy um, as Jeep did with the Trackhawk space, or if, like we mentioned, they'll be going with a with a completely different mindset of going EV completely, and that's how they're going to show off their performance credentials with their bigger vehicles. So uh, moving along from the Trackhawk, Sammy, what did you want to talk about this week? I have the almost polar opposite of what you had. Uh, The car that I drove has a topped out, like a maxed out price of about $33,000. It is the 2020 Nissan Rogue Sport. It's also known as the Cash High in Canada. Um, And this is a subcompact crossover. Subcompact. yeah, a subcompact crossover, but it's weird. It's like a tweener. It's not quite as small as the Kicks that I talked about a few weeks ago, but it's not nearly as big as a as a Rogue. So it kind of fits in between these two um, spaces. And I was actually, I hate to say this, but I was actually pleasantly surprised by it because I don't know. I, I maybe I've been in some really small cars and I've been in some pretty big ones, and this one feels. Uh, so sorry, I've been in some really subcompact crossovers and then i've also been in the compact crossovers and sometimes i feel like the compact ones like the rogue and the uh cx5 or the the crv can sometimes feel like they're lacking like personality they just feel like a box on wheels they just feel cavernous and like and and boring and while the rogue sport is not exactly a an enjoyable fun car to drive it does offer a lot at this price point um, and the one thing that really impressed me is that at this price point, it offers Nissan's uh, full-fledged uh, driver assistance suite of software. It's called ProPilot Assist. So and- that's, that is important, I think, because we encounter so many luxury vehicles that make you pay more um, piecemeal to get either the packages or the individual options that put mm-hmm. together their entire suite of self-driving stuff or even just regular stuff like lane change um, lane keeping Assist, distance yeah. or blind spot monitoring, all that. And and yet these more economy-minded companies and cars are willing to provide that as, you know, base equipment. Right. So, well, I will admit this is the, on the highest trim level, the SL trim, which is, uh, it goes S, SV, and SL. But it, it is not just like, as I, as you might think it is, not just like a couple of beeps that's like you're going to crash into something. This is a, a pretty thorough system. I was really impressed that this can be offered and found on a on a pretty mainstream vehicle. Um, and I wanted to talk you through it a little bit because 
I'm not sure that all of our listeners have um, a broad enough inter- or have a, a detailed enough understanding as to how they they operate. So basically, there's this button on the on the steering wheel. It's a blue button where it looks like a like a bird's eye view of the car with a bunch of like waves emanating around it, which is supposed to be kind of like a force field around the car, which I thought was pretty funny. So you press this. Um, and then you pretty much turn on the cruise control. You, you hit one of the set buttons. Um, and from there on the central, uh, on the gauge cluster display, it, it tells you that uh, you see a photo of the, of the car. And there are some green lines to indicate what the car um, sees around it. So um, there are two lanes, uh, two lines right next to the car. They, they indicate the lane. Um, there is uh, some horizontal lines in front of the car. And then there's a car in front of those horizontal cars. So that indicates that the car sees the ve- your car sees a vehicle ahead, and it's keeping a certain distance um, away from you. When I've mentioned this to you, when we have some of these features, and they no longer can see the car in front of you or the lane uh, markings behind uh, beside you, they could turn off the feature entirely or make some really uh, deterring like alarm bells. And that didn't happen with me in the Rogue Sport. It's a very light um, alert. And you just look on that little display and you can see this is what it doesn't see, the lanes. This is what it doesn't see, that car in front. And you can quickly adjust and and know what needs to be, what the car is kind of um, warning you about. And I thought that was really clever too. So was there anything about the um, adaptive safety or sorry, uh, active safety equipment that you didn't like? Like, is there any aspect of the the suite of features that maybe doesn't play well together? Okay, so yeah, there is. There's definitely, and it's a really weird thing to complain about. I think in the past we've we've complained about features that make sure that you're you're actually using the steering wheel, and they'll say touch the steering wheel or move the steering wheel. In this car, I have had the most false like warnings about this i have my hands on the steering wheel and it's like put your hands on the steering wheel man and i'm like i am what do i do now i've had i've had vehicles we talked about it recently in other episodes it is exactly the same thing and it is frustrating so and what makes it even more frustrating is that when it get when it sees those lane markings the the steering wheel really like it feels like it's locked in place like to move it or to budge it takes a, a real effort on your part to really move the car over so i don't want to turn off the lane keeping function by reminding the car that i'm still in the in the i'm still i still got my hands on it so i'm like i kind of sit there and kind of like wobble the wheel a little bit and nothing like the car won't move but i still am not sure if that's enough for the car to notice that i've got my hands on the steering wheel yeah um, I want to admit that it is not a particular, as I said before, it's not exciting to drive. It's not very fast. This is the slowest 141 horsepower has ever felt to me. Um, it has a two liter four cylinder engine. It did not feel quick at all. And there are a bunch of drive modes in this car that I don't think make a significant different difference. There is a sport mode, which will really make the CVT, you'll notice the CVT doing its thing a little bit more often. So that comes with its own compromise. Um, as in it always like seems to be trying to peg the, the revs at like four or 5,000 RPM. Well, I would is, think, I would think yeah. that the, any of the drive modes are, are mostly going to impact the CVT, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and when you impact the CVT in that way, it, it changes the driving experience. It makes the car feel a lot less refined, a lot less, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like a comfortable place to, to be. Yeah, I mean, because you're, you're dealing with an engine that is at best noisy when it's being driven hard, right? So right. when you create go into a sport mode, you're, you're essentially encouraging <laughs> the vehicle to make it as noisy as possible at all times. So it, I think it really cuts through any type of smoothness that might have been hidden by either sound control technology or insulation or anything like that. And in addition to that, it also like I I, I mean it's cool that those features like that uh, like option is there. I never really found it to be that. I would rather the car stay quiet and me like trundle along in the in the slow lane, if you will, uh, with my adaptive cruise control and all and, and ProPilot assist set, than peg my foot to the ground and getting nowhere with this awful buzzing in your ears. So uh, on the other hand. Maybe something that people who live uh, a little bit further north and have to deal with um, inclement weather might enjoy is uh, a, like an all-wheel drive lock function. Now, I need to get more information on how this this functions, but I'm imagining that it, it tries to keep the split between the front and the rear axles as 50-50 as possible. Uh, and I thought that was kind of unique for a car in this class and with this price point. Um, I don't think it's like a, a true like locking diff or anything like that, but... I think that's kind of um, that's kind of unique um, for me able to for me to be able to select that mode and say, and yeah. What I'm going to say it is useful too. Like in our climate, when you're trying yeah. to get in and out of a snowbank or something like that, a lot of the time, if you're dealing with a slip and grip kind of system, it can overheat because yeah. it doesn't know exactly where you're going to get power. Sorry, where you're going to get traction. So it's sending power back and forth, back and forth. Wheels just spinning. But if you lock at 50-50, it's a lot more predictable to work with when you're rocking a vehicle in and out, and you typically get less wheel spin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do like you described it when you're trying to get into a snowbank. Well, I mean, sometimes that's the only place to park in the city in the wintertime. I, I, it's unfortunate, but it's true. So, and what makes it, what made this car stand out to me is I've kind of dismissed the Rogue Sport in the past um, as not being quite big enough to compete with like uh, um, something like a Crosstrek and not being the right price either. Um, and kind of being this in-between vehicle that didn't quite have its uh, its place in the market. But now, as I'm spending a little bit more time with it, um, I'm feeling a little bit more confident with it. Um, of course, you'd still have to be, like I said, you have to be comfortable with a CVT, with the, with the compromise that a CVT will bring, and this incredibly low-powered engine. But the advantage is you're getting one of the most um, advanced safety and uh and driver assistance technology that i've experienced in and i've we, i mean you and i have both driven a lot of pretty high-end vehicles that offer i mean like when we talk about the bmws that do that uh that lane changing like automatic following of the of the lanes in front of you i think the rogue sport is pretty advanced in comparison too yeah that's, I, that's a nissan man that's a thirty-three thousand dollar fully loaded rogue sport and, compared and to what's like the, an what's, eight series <laughs> what's the base model on on a rogue sport too i'm assuming it's like low 20s yeah, 23,000 uh, 23, is the base model. That's a front-wheel drive model as well. Okay. So, yeah. um, you know, where does this stack up for you when you're comparing it against the, the typical heavyweights that you mentioned earlier on in the conversation from Toyota and Honda and whatnot? So when it comes to the subcompact, like, uh, lineup, I think you really have to pick and choose what you're going for in that segment. So I hate, I hate not just having a perfect ranking for you, but like, I think maybe the Kona is really good, but I'm not impressed with how much space it offers. I think the, and I don't really like it's, it's like quirky interior. There's all like highlights and stuff inside of it. Um, but if you want a really good interior, 
you should maybe go for the Mazda CX-30, but then that's a little pricey. So then, And also, you, want, you know, somewhat small inside. Right. Um, and then if you want something that's a bit more practical and uh, capable, you've got the Subaru Crosstrek, but that's really slow and not very, um, like the interior is a bit um, basic. And then I think the Rogue Sport is, is just near the bottom end of that tier. It's a very advanced vehicle. It's pretty spacious. Um, and, and that's kind of its, its go-to features. What am I missing in that segment? I haven't yet driven the Seltos. I think that's happening next month for me. So that'll be another vehicle to, to compare. But uh, I'm trying to think of the other vehicles in that class that might make a... I also have a vehicle known as the... Did you know that they brought back the Chevrolet Trailblazer nameplate? I did. And in fact, I'm driving one in, I think, two weeks. <laughs> and I am driving one soon, too. And I'm like, wait, this is a Trailblazer now? And, yeah, uh, I was actually sitting at a traffic light behind one the other day. And uh, I was surprised. <laughs> I, so, I mean, and I've driven what I think is relatable is like the Chevrolet tracks. And I didn't think that was worth mentioning ever again i don't uh, i don't have the hate on for the tracks that you do i think as a basic tra- as basic transportation yeah. it's not a bad vehicle totally like a a sonic or a or i like a... the sonic i think the sonic is fun <laughs> yeah and it was it had a great price and it was super reliable and i think everyone i've ever spoken to who's owned a sonic enjoyed it i really liked what they did with the design that gauge cluster that really like motorcycle-esque yeah. gauge cluster the thing, yeah the, the, the worst thing about the sonic is they just totally gave up on it like it, yeah. it they built one and then they're like this is the only sonic you're ever getting and then they never did anything new with it and that's really too bad and then you know gm's kind of doing a ford and not super interested in small cars anymore so we're never going to see anything like it yeah but now we've got this weird looking trailblazer which does have some unique uh exterior i mean I noticed it when I saw it. I didn't think it was quite that uh, bland or or um, anonymous. So I thought that was an interesting uh, new idea in this segment. And a lot of people are suggesting that it has some off-road credibility, too. I don't know exactly uh, I mean, what that means. If you're <laughs> – I, I guess. I mean, yeah, exactly. What does that mean? And is, is the buyer who's looking at a trailblazer really going to be like, you know, I was really hoping to just hit the trails on the weekend with my trailblazer. Is that something I can do? No one's saying that. It's just It's just a name. Well, I was. I think Trailblazer Trackhawk. Yeah, I thought it was maybe a, a direct competitor to the Jeep Renegade, um, and probably it's it's more um, rugged variant, the Trailhawk. So yeah, that's my thoughts on the on the Rogue Sport. I don't know if there's much else I need to talk about. I think everything else about the vehicle is pretty standard. Like I said, the engine we know about, the CVT we know about, the space is pretty decent. Um, nothing really exciting about the infotainment system or the or the materials used inside the car. It didn't feel egregiously cheap or or flimsy, but it is what you're paying for, and that's a, a thirty thousand dollar car at, at most. So um, to have that much. That really reliable um, safety technology at that point was was eye opening for me. Any any uh, last words about the uh... any last words? Oh god! Any, any last words, Sammy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think uh, I said what I needed to say. Uh, I'm happy with it now. I'm happy uh, with, with that conversation, of course. Just want to mention to people who are listening: this is the 186th episode of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and if you don't, that's if you don't count. Uh, bonus episodes, which no one ever enjoyed. Um, the bonus episodes, I think if you add those in, we're at 193. So we're inching towards 200 episodes. Sammy, I think we're going to hit episode 200 sometime in October. How do you feel about that? 
I feel pretty good. I'm really happy to have that kind of retrospective because we've had a lot of people message us telling us that they love the podcast, that they uh, would like some um, advice on what they're doing. They would laugh with us about some of the same old... You know how many people have messaged me about the Forrester robot or the Subaru robot being their, being my favorite uh, well, robot? Maybe if you weren't such a sellout to robots, then people wouldn't wouldn't be constantly calling you out on it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Um, so that's how I feel about it. Um, I, it is, I have always wanted to do this because I love having the natural conversation that me and you have uh, when driving cars or when in a car to, when we're in a car together. And I want to continue that conversation on a weekly base, basis. And I thought it was entertaining. And clearly, it's been working out. I mean, 200, nearly 200 episodes later. And my life is so empty that any type of human contact, even one as distanced as Skype-based contact is on our <laughs> podcast is really probably the best thing for me. So if you want to get in touch with Ben to make him feel a little less empty, um, you can do that very easily. It's, it is really not that hard. You can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We've got a contact form there. You fill that out, and uh, we'll read it. Ben will probably read it a couple of times because he really likes that uh, interaction. Um, and you can also reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter, where most people are pretty rude and mean. But I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram, where most people are very uh, positive and inspiring. You can find Ben. He's at Hunting Benjamin. I just want to say we actually had someone reach out over Instagram this past week, a listener, a new listener actually named Thomas. And uh, he wanted to comment on, we were talking about the Ram TRX recently. And right. I I had said something about like the name being kind of nonsensical. Like, you know, Raptor's really cool and TRX is like, it could be anything, right? And he pointed out that TRX is actually T-Rex. <laughs> How did we miss that? <laughs> I don't know, but I felt so stupid because he's 100% right. Um, he calls it, he says it's a passive aggressive name that Ram gave it because the TRX is bigger and more badass than a little Ford Raptor. And again, <laughs> exactly correct. So, Thomas, thanks for pointing that out. I don't know how, like, I guess I'm so used to seeing just alphabet soup when I look at the back of a car that I don't even think about it anymore. And uh, so there was method to the madness at SRT. SRT TRX. SRTTRX. Um, and you know what? I was mentioning the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. When you go over there, there's a bunch of buttons on the top of the, the, the website. You can subscribe to our podcast using those buttons. It's very easy. Or if you don't want to go to the website, just go to your podcast client, uh, look us up, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and uh, hit subscribe. And you'll get all of the episodes leading up to 200 and probably the ones after that after that as well we're not going anywhere after that are we ben we didn't this wasn't some 200 episode contract was it 200 episode and then we vanish over to uh what's what's it called title (laughs) (laughs) yes um and also uh, sammy what are you gonna be driving next week what are we gonna be talking about next week Ooh, I have a Porsche Macan Turbo and a Mercedes GLC 63 AMG. And I think there's an extra letter in there, S. Wow. Let's just say S. <laughs> I, I am driving a uh, Lexus GX460, Sammy. I have not driven one in quite some time. And I have a lot of feelings about this vehicle so far in the few days I've been behind the wheel. A, a surprising number of feelings. So Hold I'm- up. The 2020 GX? Do yeah. they still make a GX? They still, surprise, surprise, it's still out there, and we're going to talk about it. So that's going to be an interesting episode, I think. Uh, that's very cool. I'm looking forward to it, and um, hopefully our listeners are too. So we'll talk to you next week, and so long for now. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.